What's up ninjas and ninjas and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name, as you probably know by now, is Tim Cameron Kitchen, best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Lovely Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency based in the UK. In this episode, I'm joined by not one, but two guests, Andrew and Pete. They come as a pair, just like Anton Deck, or they're kind of the content marketing version of Anton Deck. For our American friends, Anton Deck are primetime TV comedy midgets. <laughs> um, anyway, Andrew and Peter are here today to talk about content marketing and particularly how businesses can make their content stand out. So this guides everything from the copy on your website to what you're posting on social media, to any blogging that you might be doing, to any outreach and guest posting. We talk about all sorts. We even talk about a virtual conference, an online conference that they ran to build their email list. And we talk through the process that they went through to get some really high authority guests for that and uh, what they did to promote it and get attendees at their event, including one really clever strategy with their sponsors. So if you're looking to kind of make your make your brand a bit more familiar and, and make a bit more consistent tone throughout all your messages with people, this is a really useful episode. And in fact, I think any business who is uh, who doesn't really have a clear idea about their branding would get a lot of useful stuff from this. Now, while I've got you here, I also wanted to tell you about a marketing training site that we run. Now, obviously, Exposure Ninja, we work with clients all around the world and uh, we do people's marketing for them. So we do SEO, we do pay-per-click, we do websites, we do all sorts for people. For some businesses, either they can't afford to have an agency do this stuff for them or they have an in-house marketing team or they are a marketing manager themselves and they have lots of time but not much money to have this stuff done then they want to do this stuff themselves. The trouble is it can be difficult to know what to focus on. So what should you focus your time on? If you have an hour a week to spend on your marketing, what should you be doing with that time? Tough question. So what we did is we put together a marketing training uh, site called Marketing You. Now you can visit Marketing You at Marketing You, and that's the letter U, dot ninja. So that's marketing and then the letter U dot ninja. And what it does is basically there's loads of videos in there recorded by me and other ninjas at Exposure Ninja. And we just walk you through the exact processes that we take with our clients. So whether it's optimizing a website or running some pay-per-click ads or managing your social media or building landing pages, running Facebook ads, whatever it is to do with digital marketing, we just show you on the screen how to do it. All you need to do is copy the instructions on the screen for yourself and you get the same results. So it's basically like having Exposure Ninja running a campaign, but it's actually you who is doing the work. So really good option if you don't have the budget for a done for you marketing campaign from the professionals, if you wanna do it yourself, but you wanna get good results from your time. So check out Marketing You, so that's marketingyou.ninja, and you can use the voucher code I love Tim, or one word, I love Tim, to get some money off membership. Anyway, check that out, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, guys, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, welcome. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. So we're going to talk about content marketing today and how to make people's businesses more fun. Um, one of the things that stands out on your site more than probably any website I've ever been on is the sense of fun and the willingness to just be completely different to everything else that's out there. Talk to us about why fun is important in, for example, content marketing. 
I think fun is completely underrated. Mm -hmm. And it's weird. Like in our normal day-to-day lives, we look for fun things to do, right? Mm -hmm. And we're encouraged or we are attracted to having fun in our lives. But I think when people think of business, that is just kind of out the window for some reason. And they just assume that nobody's here to have fun. Nobody's (laughs) here to have a laugh. And we all must be professional. I'm using mm-hmm. air quotes. You probably can't yes. see that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah so, it's like this thing where what we say is be more human. And to be more human, you have to have a little bit of fun. You have to be, you know, you have to be yourself. I think it's the one thing the whole human race has in common and that we all, uh, we all like laughing at some point. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the ways that this kind of comes across on, on you guys' sites and, um, Emojis, right? Emojis is something that pretty much is like a fundamental part of human behavior whenever we're holding a phone is that we use emojis, right? My mum, my dad send me emojis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no businesses use emojis. Why? This is, I, I completely get it seeing your site. It's kind of the first time I've seen emojis used en masse in a business context. And I think it's it's just one way that you can immediately stand out. Was that was it ever scary? Was it? Did it t- require a bit of a leap of faith to to take that approach? Yeah, no, definitely. So when we first set up, when we first set up in business, we were trying to be this professional corporate, trying to sound bigger than they were, than we actually were, kind of brand. So our website was very boring. It had oh, the cheesiest stock photos you've ever seen in your life. We're talking like hands um, with shoots growing out of them. Yeah. The oh yeah, to represent growing the business. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> the businessman with his hand out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, just the worst. And it didn't really work for us. Okay, it didn't work for us because when we would go networking, we would be ourselves. So in the real world, we would we'd go to networking events, we'd throw out like chocolate bars, we'd have party poppers, all this kind of thing, because we like to be a little bit different and have fun, right? And we built up this huge reputation offline, but online, it was just not happening for us at all. People didn't really connect with us. It just wasn't working until we started to bring in all that kind of offline stuff we were doing. So the moment we were more of ourselves and we got out our brand and who we really were, that's when people started to connect with us online a lot more. So I wouldn't say at this point, I wouldn't say fun is for everybody necessarily. No. It's not like every business should be really fun and out there like we are, but it's who we are. Mm -hmm. So the message really is don't just be fun for the sake of being fun, but be more of who you are because that's when people connect with you. I think you nailed it on the head before when you said be more human. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people miss that kind of human to human connection with their business. And that's something that anyone can be, no matter how professional you are, you can all be a little bit more human with your business and with your content marketing specifically. We're kind of sick of reading the most boring, jargon-filled blogs, and no one sounds like that. And I think the blogs that really connect with people, because remember, like whatever content marketing you're doing, it is a person that is consuming that content in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And I forgot where I was going with that. You need to be... <laughs> You need to be more human when you're creating that content, just like you would be in the offline world. Yeah. Okay, so I can hear the the brains of the accountants and the solicitors who are listening who are saying, 
okay, well, my business is definitely not all about fun. My clients expect me to be very kind of safe and straight down the line. And if I be more of who I am, I'm talking particularly to the accountants, then my content marketing is going to be very, 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 uh, I don't want to say boring, but dry. Right? So how can businesses to whom kind of injecting personality is completely new thing in their market, how do they get around this thing? And how do they use an approach which which works for them without alienating their customers? Yeah, no, this is a great question. And we call this content poor industries, like the kind of industries that typically have a tough time talking about what they do and how they do it. Um, so it's not necessarily the fact that they are boring or they are have no personality, but it's definitely a massive stereotype. We've worked with a lot of accountants, financial advisors, lawyers, that kind of thing. And what we find is every time we work with these people, they are so interesting. They have so many stories to tell. They have so many things that they can help people with. That's, that's what's real for them. That's the real that they can show. That's the more human side of them that they can show. Okay. So they can help people with their problems, but they can tell, they can do that through the stories that they tell. It's not about being fun or silly or daft just for the sake of it. But if you can just let yourself go a little bit and talk to people in your content like you would in person, then all of a sudden everything becomes possible because people can connect with you. And that's what's really important here. We know someone who has a financial podcast and he, he started up his podcast and you might think, God, that sounds awful, right? But because he's quite like genuine about it and he really wants to help people and he's a really nice guy and he's conversational, you know, he has a little bit of a joke here and there, then people can really connect with him. And he has people from all over the world flying over to go and see him, right? Who has... As a financial advisor, have you ever heard of anyone flying over to come and see them? That's just <laughs> of, right? He's absolutely killing it. And that's because people can really relate to him. So how do people, because I, I completely hear what you're saying, but still, if I'm, if I'm a typical accountant, I'm thinking, yeah, but those other accountants who have interesting things, you know, they're, they're, they're different. Me, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty straight down the line. I'm pretty kind of straight edge. How do people start identifying which elements of their story or their personality, which they need to boost up and make more of? Everybody does has, have something unique and can have a different stamp. So we have, we've, we've heard that so many times people will come to us and say, I'm just like every, everybody else. But as soon as we like delve a little bit deeper into them and their brand, then there is something unique about everybody. There's no mm -hmm. one accountant that's exactly the same as another accountant. And where we always start is we look at the brand values. So we literally do this in our office, usually on our huge whiteboard, <laughs> and we just get the accountant to tell us as many reasons why somebody should work with them or why they are different. Or a great question to ask is, how do I want people to describe me when I'm not in the room? Mm -hmm. And we get them to, we push them for as many words. Some people struggle, they'll have five and say I'm out, but we always get at least 30 words written down yeah. and sometimes it's hard doing it yourself so that's why i would maybe get a friend to do it with or get someone that knows you well or do it yeah. as a team maybe if you've got a team or hire a marketing company to actually work out what is different about you yeah so and when we when we ask people this i'm gonna put you off there because i find this quite funny sometimes go on go for it when we ask people how would you like to be described when you're not in the room okay 
Now, bear in mind, we're trying to get them to a point where we're finding out what's unique about them. Okay, why people are going to work with them, what content they're going to do that's going to be unique. <laughs> and we're basing that all down on these brand values that we want them to kind of spurt, spurt out now. And the things they'll say typically are, I care about my customers. And it's like, what? Well, so like, like whisper, no one else. Yeah. <laughs> so like no one else cares about their customers. No one else is friendly. No one else is professional. You can't build a standout brand based on something that is not standout in itself. Okay. The brand values, if they're not, if they're not unique, then you're not going to build a brand and thus your content isn't going to be unique either. Okay. So we really have to push people for what is actually unique. And we've done this hundreds of times and we've got hundreds of members on our site that have been through this process mm -hmm. and never once has there been the same three brand values that they come up with at the end of it. Right. So all those professional friendly, I care about my customers, all that stuff. That's important. You need to be friendly and professional, etc. but we call those baseline values. So you're not going to build your brand upon it. But it's definitely like morals to have. Mm -hmm. When you really dig down, you can start to find what's really interesting. And these these brand values, they can be anything. They don't just have to be adjectives. It could be I work with women in business. And then that opens up a whole lot of other types of content you could be creating. Mm -hmm. It could be I only work with startup businesses. And then the content could be around different startup stories that could talk to different startups about the challenges that they've had and how they've overcome them. It could be, I only work with eco-friendly companies. It doesn't even have to be like just the types of people you work with. It could be a location. Say if it's a very local-based accountancy, maybe they need to start talking about different things that's going on in the area. Mm -hmm. Build the content around that. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be, we've kind of got a content model, model that breaks down content into primary content, which is content that draws people in and secondary content, which is the type of content that converts people into sales. And what a lot of people do is they mix these up, right? So the primary content doesn't necessarily have to be about what you do. And this is really important. It's specifically for content poor industries yeah. where people don't even care what you do. They just need it. Yeah. Like yeah. for example, if you make paint, right, you sell paint. Nobody cares about how you make paint, but they do care about what you can do with that paint. So you could have a whole blog dedicated to interior design trends, mm -hmm. how to decorate your room, DIY tips, all that kind of things. Because if you can draw people in with those problems, then all of a sudden, once they do actually need some paint, they're going to buy from you, right? But going back to the brand values here, just a little bit, mm -hmm. everything becomes possible when you have brand values. Okay? No, honestly, right? it gets your creative <laughs> juices flowing. It gives you guidelines. If you're one of those really creative people, you'll know that you're just too creative. So you need to like draw yourself in a little bit, okay? Because everyone needs to be consistent. When we, we use it for decisions, right? So mm -hmm. when we first got told that, uh, invited to speak at Social Media Marketing World, right? It's the, the world's largest social media conference, right? The world's largest social media conference. We were so freaking excited. We were like giving ourselves like high fives. So like, this is amazing. It's a really big stage, huge accomplishment. Awesome. Now the way that a lot of people maybe announced that they were speaking that was kind of in this like, look at me, like, look at me. I'm so good. I'm speaking at this huge conference and you're not. Mm -hmm. Whereas we were like, 
we we started to announce it in an email and we're writing it like that. But then we were like, hang on, this isn't us, right? We looked at our brand values and one of our brand values is besties, right? Because we're best friends and we want that to come across in our content. But also we want to be best friends with everyone else, right? Because we're really, really helpful and we like to be friendly with people, right? But uber friendly. So we wanted to talk to people, not in this kind of, oh, look at me kind of way, but more of a, oh my God, this is amazing. Can you believe it, guys? Like you've helped us come this far, all right? So it, it completely changes everything, not just the way you look or anything like that, but it allows you to voice. be consistent across everything. Tone of voice, aesthetics, packages that you offer, your photos, your decisions, just everything really. So it's incredibly powerful. I think one of the challenges that people have with, when they're deciding their their brand tone of voice is that they are they are scared of eliminating you know a, an audience. As soon as you stick your head above the parapet, you're going to take shots, right? You must work with people who are scared of polarizing an audience by actually putting a stake in the ground and standing for something. So, in a reluctance to stand for something, they kind of stand for nothing and you know, disappear into, into blandness. How do you kind of help people through that process? I feel like it's a, a mindset shift, right? So you can have just your average, your business and don't get us wrong. We're not saying like this way is the only way. There's a ton of people that have like average Joe businesses, but it's not going to take them far. And kind of our kind of philosophy is that if you want to create a standout brand and if you want to have super fans, that will spread the word about you. You need to kind of just accept that it's going to put some people off. And so we know that not everybody, probably not everyone listening to this podcast gets it, likes our style, thinks mm-hmm. that we're not professional enough. Yeah. But we've seen enough of the upside to doing it this way of people absolutely loving what we do mm-hmm. to let that kind of go. Yeah. And to not like let that affect us mm-hmm. and this happens with every kind of huge brand so like apple man united <laughs> justin bieber i feel like we should uh-huh. call it the justin bieber effect mm-hmm. right so many people like adore him but so many people just want to like punch him in the face yeah. as well so i so. would if, if there was a room of <laughs> if there was a room of 100 people right i would much rather have 50 percent of them hate me or ignore me and if, you know just like want to not really deal with me, that's fine. And the other 50% absolutely love everything I do, share everything I do, tell others about what I do and buy everything I do. Mm-hmm. Then 100% of the room not really caring at all. And then tomorrow they forget, mm-hmm. right? I'd rather have that 50% that love me rather than 100% of people that are like, meh, forget about them. And as long as those 50% people that hate you it's not gonna like bring them kind of throwing bricks through your window or anything like that you know we're not talking about like getting political or anything here which can be a little bit dangerous Mm -hmm. but just saying that's okay these aren't my kind of people yeah but i'm okay with that Mm -hmm. because i'm attracting the right kinds of people having that kind of mindset mindset shift is super important I want to talk about creating content now. And Mm -hmm. obviously one of the things that we're really focusing on is, is creating a consistent brand, which if people see any piece of content of yours, then they would know that it comes from, 
from you, right? Yeah. They, they see one blog post or they watch one video and they can see the, the kind of DNA of, of, of what it is that you're doing. You, you have this concept of the content stamp, don't you? Perhaps you could talk to us about what that means. Yeah. yeah so business advisors, since, since the dawn of time, I've always said you need a USP for your business, right? Which obviously stands for unique selling point. And that's, that's crazy important, right? Because you need to have, you know, a unique uh, proposition with your business. If you just sell the same as everyone else, you're going to struggle to sell that product, right? But where people forget about this is we think you should also have a USP for your content. And we call this your content stamp because it's like making your, your mark on your content. Okay. It makes it yours. If you took the logo off, would it still look like Andrew and Pete's content? Yes, it would. Why? Okay. So your content stamp, there's, there's different variables to this to find your content stamp, but essentially at the end of it, what you'll come up with is something that's your unique twist on how you deliver your content. Okay. So if it's unique, then it has that Marmite effect or the Justin Bieber effect, right? <laughs> it's different to everyone else. So it will stand out, but not only that, it will be remembered. It'll be talked about. It'll be shared. It'll be engaged with, and it'll get people most importantly to come back. The different elements that you need to, to kind of develop your content stamp include your brand within that there's kind of like your brand values. There's your avatar, like your customer avatar. There's your arch enemy. There's the voice characteristics you use, like the aesthetics, all that kind of stuff. Then, then you've got the aspirational message. Okay. So people don't buy paint because they want some, you know, colored liquid, right? They buy paint because they want their house to look nice so that they can sell it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's like the aspirational message. So they can have one up on the neighbors. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they can have a better on being off. <laughs> and then, so you've got the brand, you've got the aspirational message, and then you've got the delivery. Okay. So how can you innovate with the delivery? Johnny Dumas started a podcast every single day, right? A daily podcast guest interview show. That wasn't really heard of at the time. And that's why it did so well, because he delivered it in a different way. That's his content stamp. Now he's a multimillionaire. Good for him. Um, and then you've got, then you've got shareability. Okay. Because what's content if it's not going to be shared, because that's the one way you're going to grow your audience organically. If you want to make it big, you're only going to make it big. If you have those fans who share it. So then you have to add in why people are going to share this content. Does it make them look good if they share it? Do they just like you enough so that they'll share it? Does it grab them like emotionally? Does it make them laugh a lot? Does it make them super angry and frustrated so that they want to share it? Does it break into the nostalgia? What else? What else makes people share stuff? We've got, does it align with some kind of cause of belief? Does it, yeah, that exactly. They agree with. Yeah. Or is it just really super, super practical? Yeah. Is it just so valuable that I can't help but share this? It's like, bravo, Andrew and Pete. This is really <laughs> helpful. I'm going to tell everyone about this piece of content. So if you can com combine those, those four elements together, then you can start to think of the most unique, most amazing content ever. And it's not like that's really easy to do either. So this no. is usually like a half a day to a day kind of activity, we would say, where we get all those four elements, we chuck a load of ideas out, we play with different ideas, 
It's not just like a click of the fingers. Hey, I'm going to start creating some unique content. Mm. It does. It does require some kind of creativity or some kind of brain power. Yeah,、right? development. Yeah,、well. but just having it in those kind of those four kind of、mm. columns, kind of think about. We call them like brainstorming pivots. So how do we get this more on brand? How do we get this more shareable?、Mm-hmm. How can we play with the delivery mechanism here so this content gets out there in a slightly different way? Exactly. And a unique idea usually rises to the surface. Yeah. So it gives you kind of some creative juices, but it also gives you a framework. So it helps you to get more creative, but it also gives you boundaries to work within.、Um, but I think the most important thing to realize here is that when you develop your content stamp. You're gonna you're gonna go so much faster and further than everyone else in your industry, or, or that you were before. Because if you're just creating blase content that doesn't pull people in and engage with them, there's literally not much point, right? Because you're gonna be doing the same thing a year down the line, or two years down the line, and still complaining that content marketing doesn't work. Yeah, like having a blog isn't novel anymore. People、mm-hmm. turn to blogging because. Like the advertising, the flyering kind of market just got oversaturated, and people looked at the internet. But now the internet's oversaturated and noisy、mm-hmm. and busy. So if you're just creating the same old blog as everybody else, you're just kind of adding to that noise, and it's not going to do anything for you. Exactly. So don't don't bang your head against the wall anymore. Develop your content stamp, and you'll fly. So once people are going through this,、um, the process of, of four pillars, and they're defining what their content stamp would be, how do they know when they've got it right? How do they know when they've got a content stamp and a, a, a kind of brand tone of voice which is going to resonate with their audience? So it's hard to know without actually doing it. So I think a lot of people have a ton of ideas, but the real success stories are the ones that go and action that. And it's often hard to know what you should be measuring with your content marketing. Should I be looking at sales? Should I be looking at website traffic? Should I be looking at opt-ins? There's tons of different metrics we can be measuring here. What we say is a great one to start with is literally just reaction. People's reaction to your content. Did you get a really nice email? Did you get a like? Did you get a really nice comment? Did you get the haha emoji?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we can start to make people react to our content, then we can make another person react, and another person, and another person. If we're literally getting crickets when no one is reacting to anything, then you've got something wrong. Yeah. So start there. Test、mm-hmm. things out. Have a go. Like, what is if your content completely bombs? Then so what? No one saw it. Whatever, like, what is the actual downside to creating a bad bit of content?、Yeah. Just a little bit of time that went into it. Exactly. Yeah. So test things out and test the reaction.、Yeah. Most important. Reaction.、Start. The reaction is so important. The moment we get like a, haha, guys, that was amazing, or I love your guys, I love you guys' videos, or whatever. That's the moment when you've you've hit the nail on the head, or you're getting closer. Mm-hmm. The moment when you're hearing crickets is ah good. So it's always a work in development,、mm-hmm. and it's something that you can always keep on getting better and better at. So we're actually looking for kind of qualitative feedback, aren't we? Because we're not looking for oh you know I've got ten thousand shares and if I only get one thousand then it's a failure. It's we're actually looking for the intensity of people's reaction.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely.、Mm-hmm. Especially if you don't have an audience and you're building this from scratch. Yeah. Then it's naive to think I'm going to create one bit of content and I'm going to get thousands of views, thousands of comments, thousands of shares. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't comment that much on content anymore mm-hmm. compared to what they used to. We we have people right that come up to us at an event and they've gone, "Oh my god, Andrew and Pete, I'm like your biggest fans ever," and we're like, "Really? You could have commented once in a while. <laughs> you could have liked once in a while. Yeah. Give us a share, <laughs> why not? Yeah, nothing to like." <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, funny but there are people that do comment and they'll give you praise and appreciation mm-hmm. and that's they're the people you, you really want to hold dear to your heart and ask them why did you like this or ask yourself like what made them react to this mm-hmm. i suppose that's something that people can keep in mind when they're in the early stages of building their audience for every like you get or every haha or every love you get there are a bunch of people there who had a reaction it might not have been as strong it might not have been strong enough to get them to act, but like these kind of underground fans will come up to you at conferences or the people who after two years just drop you an email and say, cool, I want to become a client. Yeah. yeah. You know, ju- you're, you're kind of seeing the tip of the iceberg, aren't you? Every sign of visible reaction, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on, which you're not seeing. But for people who are getting started in this process, how do they, like we said blogging is you know just writing blog posts for the sake of it is not enough what sort of content should they be focusing on creating so i think this comes back to your avatar and who you want to reach with your content so a lot of people will do what they find easiest and oftentimes that is blogging because anyone can write a blog post whether that's a good blog post is another thing but anyone can usually (laughs) write so that's what people will start doing but what we always do is we flip that around and we ask them well how does your customer or your potential customer want to take their content are they jogging every morning in the park and they would want to listen to a podcast Mm -hmm. are they listening on their way to work do they want a little bit of light relief from their emails so they want to watch a funny video how does your customer want to take their content and we're not completely anti-blogging i think there are some instances where blogging does make sense but if we look at all the stats then the internet is becoming a lot more visual. So we're getting a lot more video content. We're getting a lot more visual content out there, Mm -hmm. a lot more audio content. And if we kind of just ignore all of that kind of trend and stick to blogging, I think we're kind of missing a trick. Yeah. So getting more into video, like I think there's a stat that in five years time, Facebook will be 99% video content or Mm -hmm. something stupid like that. Live video even. Huge right now, booming. So I think if you're just blogging, you are missing a trick. Yeah, and if you are blogging, try and include as many graphics as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only just for the blog to break it up, but to share as well. So for example, it's almost close to like 200% more engagement with with posts that have images and imagery, right? But what's also interesting is that algorithms these days are looking at whether people spend time engaging with you or not, okay? They're looking at that. Overall, how much has this post been engaged with? Overall, how many times have I seen Andrew and Pete's tweets and not interact with them, but I've looked at them for a long time? It's actually measuring things like that, all these algorithms. So then what it decides is later on whether to show my content to that person or not. So if someone hasn't engaged with me on my content, on my posts, next time I post, Facebook or Twitter or whatever is going to be thinking, hmm, you know what? 
Tim didn't really like Andrew and Pete's post last time. He didn't engage with it. He just scrolled on through. How dare you, Tim? Um, <laughs> now, now this time Andrew and Pete have post, I'm not going to show Tim that post, right? So actually by not being more engaging, you're mm -hmm. actually not only damaging your, uh, your reach right now, but you're also damaging your future reach, which is really interesting because if people engage with you now, then they'll see more of your posts in the future. So this is, this is killing all those people that are just blasting out blase content as much as they possibly can. And it's focusing in on and giving benefits to the people that are putting out quality content. So again, it goes back to the, the content stamp. I think, I think that's actually a really interesting point with the algorithms mm -hmm. there. I, I guess it's something that we'll see with, we see it a lot on Twitter, for example, we'll see a, a page which has tens of thousands of followers and almost no engagement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at the content and there's absolutely no surprise. It's either like automatically posted from Facebook, so it's all truncated or they're just tweeting a link to their website like five times a day or something. <laughs> and it's going to take time, isn't it, for them to to move that momentum in their favor and to start building up the visibility in the featured sections on Twitter or, you know, get more visibility on Facebook or whatever. It, it actually takes time to recover if you've been, uh, you know, just hammering your hammering your news feeds and hammering your followers with, with boring crap that they don't really care about. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Especially, I think a lot of people forget about the social aspect of social media. So if you want your mm. content to be seen more on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, then go and start interacting with people. Because for the reasons Pete just said, if you start talking to people, then they are much more likely to actually see your content when you do have a link to your blog. Yeah, that's actually really yeah. cool. So we actually do probably about 50-50, don't we? Interaction on social media and posting content on social media. Yeah, we try and spend as much time as possible, not just, not just replying as well to our comments, but proactively looking at our Twitter lists and finding other people and, and commenting on their stuff. A nice hack. Starting conversations. A nice hack is to, before you check your own notifications to see who's talking to you, is to go to the home feed on whatever platform it is and talk to somebody else first before mm. you jump in. Because it's so easy to open Twitter, look at your 10 notifications and think, I'm just going to reply to those. Yeah. yeah. But being a little bit more proactive about it yeah. really helps. We've actually changed the bookmark tab on our computer so that when we click on Twitter, it doesn't take us to Twitter. It takes us to um, one of our Twitter lists. Okay. of people that we're supposed to be keeping in touch with. So it kind of forces us to look at other people's content. Mm -hmm. Nice. I love that hack. So what are your criteria for the people who are on that list? So that is people that we think are potential members for our membership site, Atomic, basically. So if they've raised their hand, if they look like our perfect client, um, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll put them in the list and, and start interacting. That does change a lot, depending on what we're focusing on at the time. So if mm -hmm. we're looking to get more speaking gigs, we might have a list of event organizers that we want to interact with more. If we're going to specific, a specific event, we might want to connect with the speakers there. So we'll have a list of the speakers that are speaking there or the attendees that are speaking mm -hmm. there. So whatever kind of your marketing goals are, have, you can have, I think you can have an unlimited amount of Twitter lists. Yeah, I think you can. So, although it gets to a stage where it's a bit crazy about the amount you've got. Yeah, so if yeah. you just stick with like 
two to three Twitter lists that you're interacting with and do it regularly, that helps. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about a completely different type of content now, and that's the online conference. So you guys ran an online conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a really, really interesting concept. Maybe you could talk to us a bit about what that actually involves for people who haven't seen one of these in action. A lot of people are doing these these conferences and they look amazing, great, right? So, but you can only have like a few hundred attendees if you're lucky to get that many, right? At your conference, especially if you're just starting a new conference, it's a tough slog. So we were like, we really, we really want to build our email list. That's a major goal of ours. And we wanted to do some kind of a conference. We wanted to put on a big event and reach as many people as possible. So we actually thought, why not put on a online conference? Because with an online conference, we can have, you know, thousands and thousands of people attend it and it doesn't really matter. So it's a great way, A, to build our list and a great way to get more audience and a great way to just reach as many people and, you know, spread, you know, all this this value that we want to give. We wanted to do something big, I think. We wanted to make an impact. I feel like we were kind of skirting around the outskirts of our industry and we wanted more awareness, mm-hmm. more email subscribers, and we wanted to connect with the speakers as well. That was another yeah, kind of yeah. big goal yeah. for the conference. Because if we could if we could be speaking, if we could position ourselves amongst other big thought leaders in our industry, mm-hmm. then that's a great way to improve our credibility, right? But it's tough to get the speaking gigs without the experience and without that positioning already. So we thought, why not make the conference so that we could position ourselves right in the middle of all these amazing speakers, mm-hmm. right? So we, we, we engineered our own credibility, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, from a positioning point of view, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? Because like you say, it's, it's the kind of visibility and the benefit of a, of a huge multi-thousand person conference without having to invest, you know, best part of a million in setting the whole thing up and organizing it and paying deposits on huge hotels and forcing everyone to fly halfway around the world for it. I think it's, it's a genius idea. What are some other business types that could do this thing? Is this right for everyone, do you think? Um, to be fair, we haven't looked into a ton of different industries for this model specifically, but mm-hmm. we have seen other examples specifically in like health and fitness. Health and fitness is brilliant. Yeah, I think yeah. any kind of niche that has in-person events hmm. could why benefit not? from the online conference yeah, why not? model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's just a great way for anyone in the industry to raise their awareness, basically. Mm-hmm. So when you're choosing your, your speakers for your conference, how, how did you decide who you wanted to speak? And how did you decide how big to go? Because some people will think, oh, there are these huge, you know, titans of my market. I they'll never, they'll never attend. So I won't even bother. And they'll kind of limit themselves straight at that planning focus. What was your process? So our kind of thinking around not just kind of this, but everything that we're doing in our business is always aim for the big domino first. So a lot of people work themselves up. I'll start with this now, and then maybe next year we'll up it a little bit mm-hmm. where we would rather put in like 110% and get in that big domino that just knocks over everything in one fail swoop. So like if we were to go for the big speakers at Mm -hmm. the end, right, what would have happened before then is we would have spent months trying to get together all these like, I don't know, not lower level speakers, but you know what I mean? 
mm-hmm. uh, trying to trying to get them all organized, getting them on the on the bill, all this kind of stuff, and then slowly reaching up one by one to you know as big as we could get, like industry yeah. expert thought leader wise. But if you do that, it's months worth of effort, and at the end of it, that that amazing thought leader is going to be like, well, I don't want to be associated with all of these other lower level speakers. So actually, I don't want to be on that conference. Yeah. Whereas we flipped it around. Yeah. So we went for the big guys first. Now we did know, well, some of them knew of us first. It wasn't like we were going in completely cold Mm -hmm. to a lot of them. So we had been over to some of the events in the States and we had met some of these guys, but our kind of big domino was Mike Stelsner, who owns Social Media Examiner. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do much speaking gigs. So we thought if we can get him then I bet other people will be up for doing yes, this. Exactly. So we created, it wasn't just an email. We created a whole PDF invite about the conference, about what it was going to um, be, what he would get out of it. it the, looked, the promotional strategy yeah, as well. Yeah, the promotional strategy. It looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Looking at any kind of issues they might have with speaking. So, for example, we know that a ton of people get asked to do these online conferences all the time and one of the big drawbacks is that they to be a speaker on them you have to share it you're almost forced to share it with your audience your Some email people get you to sign an agreement yeah this is really off-putting now and especially in the marketing industry i think people are getting a little bit sick of it yeah. so we went to the speakers and we already had like the marketing plan sorted for what we wanted so we didn't actually ask them to share it and because we didn't ask them to share it a lot of them did it anyway for us yeah so nice. we got mike stelsner on board we got a few of the higher level speakers that mm-hmm. we had relationships with mm-hmm. and once we got that big domino sorted the others kind of just yeah. fell in place a lot easier once we like announced that everybody wanted to speak at the conference it was almost overwhelming mm. where we didn't have to put in any effort finding speakers literally they were all like hey I can't believe you got Michael Stelzner on board. Um, he doesn't even speak at conferences. Like, that's amazing. Can I speak at your conference? And then they would start like pitching themselves to us. It was a bit it's, awkward it because we had already like filled most of the slots because we were quite um, selective. We mm. didn't really take any pitches. Not really. We were just no. like, these are the speakers we want. We got the big domino. And then we just asked the rest of them. Yeah. And the we majority could, yeah. said yes. Yeah, I mean, we did get a few no's. Yeah. We're not like we didn't get a, a perfect strike. Yeah. <laughs> but the majority said yes. So, what was important to these guest speakers? Was it the number of people that were going to be attending? Was it knowing that you guys were organised and had a marketing plan in place? I think there's a few elements. Yeah. Do you know? What I think the biggest element was. Yeah. That? I think the biggest element to getting a yes was they liked us because of yeah. our brand, and. Yeah. Yeah. We went to a ton of effort to ask them. Yeah. 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 I think that's a massive underrated fa- factor. We get asked all the time to speak at online conferences via a really blunt, short email. <laughs> and it's like, come on, put in a little effort. Jeez, make me feel special. <laughs> right? You're like being wooed, don't you? No, dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we went all out. We, 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 we almost guaranteed them, like, a large audience that would watch this, right? Uh, because we laid out their promotional plan so they could see it. It was going to work, right? 
we we gave them a mission and a cause for the conference. Like we wanted, we had a spec. It was called Rule Breakers, yeah. Rule Breakers, because we believe that to get to the top, you need to break the rules a little bit. You can't just do what everyone else does. Mm. So the branding was just unlike any other conference around. Yeah, exactly. so immediately it's like, oh, this is a little bit different. Yeah. So so it was also aspirational mm-hmm. a little bit. You mm-hmm. could say so. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be seen as the leaders in their field, and they wanted to be a little bit, you know, rule breaker. Now that's like a nice term yeah, that they wanted to, to associate themselves with. So, what what do your speakers want to look like, and and make them look like that with your conference? Um, but I think yeah, like having the big domino first just made it super easy. But we also go in the extra mile. So yes, I, I guess it's a combination of the two. And obviously lots of promotion and content marketing opportunities come off the back of, of running something like this. So what sort of promotion strategies did you guys use to make sure that your first conference was filled with people? So it was sponsorship. That was kind of our main strategy to start with. We got some sponsors that we knew had. It was a little bit of chicken and egg, right? Because we went to sponsors and we said, we're running this conference. And we're going to have these kind of speakers. So this is why it's going to be good. And we went to the speakers and we said, we're running this conference. We're going to have these kind of sponsors. And this is why it's going to be good. (laughs) So it's just kind of pitching that, right? We got one sponsor on board first who really liked the idea behind it. We told them the types of speakers that we wanted to approach. And we told them these are probably the ones that we're pretty sure that we can get. Then we got the speakers then we got more sponsors on board mm-hmm. and it wasn't necessarily a money-making thing, the first event. So it was just sponsorship via reach. So they would help promote it. We made sure that they had a sizable email list, social mm-hmm. media presence, outreach to get it out there to as many people as possible. Yeah. And then once we had that, what were the other kind of promotional strategies? We, although we didn't ask the speakers to promote the conference, we made it really easy for them yeah. to promote it if they wanted to. So we had a full page with all the different kind of graphics that they could use. We had email templates if they wanted to use any of those. Mm-hmm. We done Facebook advertising mm-hmm. for the event to drive yeah. people to the launch. We got page. a lot of press on it as well. Yeah. Um, local press because nobody had really seen or done anything like, like this in our city. So mm-hmm. that was quite cool as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Just giving yourself time. It's not, it sounds much easier than it is. So we wish we had a good, I can't remember how long we had. I think we had about four or five months Yeah. where I wish it was more like eight or nine months yeah. to do the whole thing. We, we considerably underestimated how much time it was going to take, Yeah. Uh, which is quite funny. But I think the biggest uh, success promotion-wise was asking the sponsors to promote it via their email list. Mm-hmm. rather than asking sponsors for money because the money would have got us so far but having a dedicated audience that is primed and ready to go it's you know you can't really beat that so that was the one thing that got us kind of the most subscribers to the conference basically mm-hmm. yes yeah, uh, that is an absolute genius marketing strategy thank you <laughs> very well done nice <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. That, the, what's the one thing which is going to be more useful to you than money in this situation? And it's attendees, isn't it? That just fuels everything. So, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> um, guys, this has been really, really fascinating. We, we, uh, we must wrap up now. Um, how can people find out more about you guys and, importantly, about Atomic? 
Awesome. So yeah, our website is just andrewandpete.com. That's a nice, easy one to <laughs> remember. You can go to andrewandpete.com to find out about Atomic. No, sorry, andrewandpete.com forward slash Atomic mm-hmm. to find out about Atomic, which is our membership site that teaches small businesses how to get more creative with their marketing. We talk them through the whole content stamp model and actually help them come up with these ideas mm-hmm. for themselves. Exactly. So we love that. We're on every social network, basically, as Andrew and Pete. If you search <laughs> Andrew and Pete on everything, then yeah, yeah we'll show I, off. I, not I think... Pete and Andrew, Andrew mm. and Pete. Oh, no, not, not, not Pete and Andrew. <laughs> That's just wrong. <laughs> There's some Australians <laughs> called Pete and Andrew. They're weird. <laughs> what, All right, that's because they're upside down in Australia, right? So they're the other way around. <laughs> I don't what? think there is, but there should be. <laughs> Sorry, what I'd love people on. to do is check out our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. It's just full of really useful, fun advice. And that's just Andrew and Pete TV. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And I definitely I'll suggest that... Pete and Andrew, because she'll come up with Pete or Andre suggestions. Uh-huh. Which is, which is oh, God. <laughs> You'll, uh, yeah, you'll see my wife over there. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely suggest that people check out um, Andrew and Pete's website because the it, it's just completely different to anything else that you will have seen. We're actually rebuilding our, our website at the moment and I'm going to use you guys as an inspiration for the design because I think it's just colourful, it's fun, it makes you want to engage. So, great job. Looking for the emojis there. <laughs> yes, love the emojis. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of your awesome content marketing knowledge. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, guys. Thank you.